It takes years to know what you're going to want to use to finish a project. Does it need an orbital polisher? Or will good old elbow grease do the trick? But now that you're an expert, you're going to want a provider that knows how to serve an expert. You're going to want Worth. And you're going to want to visit Worth.ca. That's W-U-R-T-H dot C-A. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the November 11th, 2022 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. My guest today is keenly aware of the Inflation Reduction Act and its $7,500 US dollar EV tax credit to Americans and what it means to the Canadian auto industry. So we'll talk about what the Canadian government should be doing to capitalize on that piece of legislation. We'll also talk about North American regulatory alignment and what's needed and how much charging infrastructure the federal government should be building. All that and more when I speak with the head of the Canadian Vehicle Manufacturers Association, Brian Kingston, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Brian, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you back. We haven't spoken since the Inflation Reduction Act and its $7,500 U.S. Uh, EV tax rebate was passed, so it's good to catch up. What's your initial reaction to that legislation? Yeah, a lot has happened since we last spoke. Um, Initial reaction, great news, obviously, when it comes to the EV incentive. The U.S. EV incentive now includes Canadian assembled vehicles. So this means that Canada is in the North American 10. And this is important because we've seen significant new investments by Ford, General Motors and Stellantis into Canada over the past two years. $13.5 billion, with the majority of that dedicated to EV assembly and the associated supply chain. So vehicles produced, built, assembled here in Canada will qualify for that very generous $7,500 US dollar tax credit. So that's very positive news and and kudos to Minister Ng at the federal level and Minister Fideli in Ontario. There was really a Team Canada effort here. And uh, it's always important to remind the Americans that we build things together and we operate in an integrated industry. And the IRA reflects that when it comes to the EV tax incentive. So we were all in this together as we tried to get this passed in terms of an industry, whether it was the politicians you mentioned, um, obviously your members Um, auto assemblers, the parts association, everyone wanted to make sure that this was a North American credit, essentially. So that got done. Now that it's passed, how would you rate Canada's initial reaction to the bill? Well, I think there was so much focus on the EV incentive that that really took a lot of the oxygen when we saw the IRA and and everyone was rightfully um, very pleased with the outcome. Unfortunately, though, what was missed was that the U.S. is committing about $370 billion to fighting climate change in this bill, and it has serious competitive implications for Canada. There are incentives for battery manufacturing. There's a whole suite of incentives and supports for the critical minerals sector. There's also some support on the EV adoption side of things. So while we've spent a lot of time applauding the fact that EVs are Canadian assembled EVs are part of this. What we've been calling for is a real dedicated, focused response to some of these competitive concerns that have emerged in the IRA, which do have big implications for the Canadian industry and for manufacturing going forward. 
So Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland recently issued the fall economic statement. What were your thoughts on it? Was enough in there of the things you just mentioned or did it fall short? We had a mixed reaction to it because uh, on the one hand, very positive that the automotive industry was reflected throughout that fall economic statement. There was direct references to some of the major investments that CVMA members had made in Canada recently. And there was an, an, an acknowledgement of the fact that the IRA has serious implications for Canada going forward. That said, we were hoping that there would be a more tangible set of actions or measures to respond to the IRA. So how is going Canada going to remain competitive with the United States in the battery supply chain? How are we going to take advantage of some of the critical minerals proposals coming out of the U.S., which create real opportunities for Canada if we can get our act together and move quickly? So there's a placeholder in the fall economic statement basically saying, stay tuned for budget 2023. We're going to consult with industry. That's all good. But the clock is ticking. The Americans have moved in a very big way, extremely aggressively. So we don't have a lot of time right now. Investment is being pulled into the U.S. and Canada has to respond. Well, next up is that budget and consultations are underway, um, at least pre-budget. You have your chance to have your say. What specifically does the CVMA want to see in that next budget? There are a few things we'd like to see. First, on, on the critical mineral side of things, the, the IRA has very specific sourcing requirements, particularly if a vehicle manufacturer is going to qualify for the U.S. incentive. That creates a huge opportunity for Canada because, as I said at the outset, we are in the tent. We are part of the North American supply chain, and we are considered a partner where you can source those critical minerals from. We all know that we have them here in Canada, but we need to move from talking about the strategy, the critical mineral strategy, the plan, to action. How are we going to build the infrastructure and get these minerals out of the ground and into the supply chain? So I'd like to see something tangible on that. When it comes to batteries specifically, um, the IRA has this advanced manufacturing production credit. It's called Section 45X, which provides very generous tax credits for the manufacturing of battery cells and modules in the United States only. And so we've got to make sure that we're competitive with the U.S. if we're going to win new investment. So I'm not suggesting that we necessarily need to match with a similar production credit. We've got tools available at the federal level and the provincial level, but we've got to level the playing field and we need to do it now. So I'll be looking for uh, a couple of specific programs like that. And then lastly, on, on EV adoption, again, the Americans are moving swiftly now. We've got billions of dollars into charging infrastructure, an EV tax incentive that runs out to 2032, which is you know much higher than what we offer here in Canada. So that'd be the third bucket. What is the federal government going to do to get us on track to the targets that they have set for EV adoption? Before we get to incentives, um, I do want to stick with that mineral sort of element for a minute, pardon the pun, but do your members want more minerals extracted from Ontario and processed in Ontario or Quebec so that they can be closer to vehicles built in Ontario? Or if you can't speak just for your members, because I understand trade secrets and, and things are confidential, generally speaking, what is it like in the auto industry? Do they want those minerals mined and refined where they assemble vehicles? Absolutely. And what's really driving this is, is the fact that you have 
in the Inflation Reduction Act, very specific requirements around mineral sourcing. And this is all part of a pivot by the U.S. administration to reduce their dependence on the Chinese supply chain. So if you're going to build out your EV production at the rates that the auto manufacturers are right now striving for, you're going to have to source these minerals from the United States or a free trade partner. Canada, Mexico, or any other partner that the U.S. has a trade agreement with. And that puts Canada in a very, very good position because we have the minerals. We have five OEMs building vehicles right here in Canada, and we sit right next to the biggest economy in the world. So Canada is perfectly positioned to take advantage of this, but we've got to move quickly because these deals are being struck right now. And we're already seeing investments being made in Canada, but I think the potential here is is massive. I mean, truly a generational opportunity if we can get this supply chain up and running quickly. In your submission to the government, um, you want to see the federal government's EV incentive increased to $10,000. That's double the $5,000 that it is right now. I have a couple questions about that. First, how does $10,000 compare globally? Yeah, so if you look at countries in the world that are pursuing electrification, and compare Canada's incentive right now to those other jurisdictions, we fall outside of the top 20. We are not even on that table. If you raise the incentive to 10,000 Canadian, that puts us level with the US, approximately 7,500 US dollars, then we're in about the middle of the pack. Then you can add in some of the provinces which have incentives, and that gets us closer to top five. So I think it's frankly imperative. If we want to be a leader in this space, the government set an ambitious target for 2035. We have to have incentives that are comparable to some leading jurisdictions on EV adoption. You mentioned provincial incentives. Are you pushing Ontario? This is my second question. Are you pushing Ontario, the country's biggest retail market, to add an EV incentive? Yes, we are. And we continue to make the case to Ontario that Uh, If you want to support all of the manufacturing investments that have come into the province, and and Ontario has been a fantastic partner uh, in all of those investments, it's also important to support the demand side of the equation, to help more Ontarians make the switch. So the federal incentive right now at 5,000, that's all you get if you're a resident in Ontario. And if you really want to bring those numbers up, particularly on a Canada-wide basis, Ontario has got to be part of it because they are the biggest uh, auto market in the country. So we are uh, looking for that and, and hope that there will be some form of incentive, even if it's not a direct purchase incentive. There are other ways that you can incentivize Ontarians to make the switch to electric. We'll be right back after this short break. It takes years to know what you're going to want to use for certain projects. People used to tell you, you're going to want a foam gun, wash concentrate, and eco-aluminum wheel cleaner. Or you're going to want a half-inch impact gun, air hose, and an impact socket. But now that you're an expert, you're going to want to go with a company that knows the best way to serve experts is with expertise. You're going to want Worth. And you're going to want to visit worth.ca. That's W-U-R-T-H dot C-A. Welcome back to the podcast, where I'm speaking with the head of the Canadian Vehicle Manufacturers Association, Brian Kingston. So what would you suggest to Premier Ford as, quote unquote, other ways to incentivize us, and we're both in Ontario, to buy EVs? A couple of things. Um, One thing you can do, uh, for example, would be a provincial tax credit. So similar to what the U.S. does, it's not an incentive applied 
at the point of sale. It's a tax credit that you would receive if you made that purchase. Uh, another thing that can be done, and this has to be done, frankly, across the country, charging infrastructure, both public and at home, incentivizing Ontarians to put a charger into their home. It's not an insignificant amount of money to install a charger, particularly if you have to have wiring done. Uh, so there are programs like that that will really help nudge people to make that switch. And I'm hopeful that there will be uh, something along those lines coming forward. You mentioned charging. Um, you continue to push for more government-owned electric vehicle charging stations. How is that message being received at the federal level? At the federal level, the government recognizes the problem. And frankly, it's, it's the federal government's own studies which point to the significance of this challenge. Enercan recently did a survey on, on EVs Canada-wide. And what they found was that 53% of Canadians think that there are too few, if any, publicly available charging stations where they drive. And if you look in, into, for example, prairie provinces, those numbers get significantly higher. So the federal government understands the problem. They've done their own analysis of it. Um, but what we need to see is a more ambitious plan to actually build this infrastructure. A fair amount of money has been committed to it. But of the 84,500 chargers that the federal government has uh, committed to building, there are only 2,500 operational today. So at that rate of build out, we are going to be a long way to getting towards the 84,500, which frankly isn't even enough. Well, that was going to be my follow-up um, because your association claims that Canada will actually need about 440,000 chargers by 2035. How do you come up with your number of 440 and the federal government right now only has 24,000, as you mentioned, and, and with a goal of 84,000? How is that gap so wide? What is different between how you calculate what we need, which is almost half a million chargers, and what the government claims we need, which is less than or fewer than 100,000 chargers. So what we do is we've looked at the ratios of EVs on the road to chargers in other jurisdictions that are pursuing electrification at the same rate as Canada. And if you apply those ratios to the Canadian fleet projections for electric vehicles, you need far more chargers than what the federal government is currently targeting. And just to give you an example, um, California. The federal government likes to compare itself to California. In fact, Canada and California recently signed an MOU where they're going to cooperate on climate action. So we constantly see references to California coming out of the federal government. Yet, the charging ratio that the federal government has adopted is significantly less ambitious than what California is doing. If we were to use the California ratio, 12 EVs to one public charger, we would need a million e uh, chargers by 2035 to support the fleet. And the federal government's targeting 442,000. And of course, uh, as I mentioned, there's only 2,500 of those that are actually operational. So we've got a huge gap here and it's a real challenge. This will be the most significant barrier to adoption if the government can't get this right. So I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but is the underlying message from the federal government that it doesn't even believe its own EV goals, that we will get to that point. Is that why there are fewer chargers? Or do they not believe that the grid can sustain that number of chargers? 
and nobody's been able to tell me this because the numbers are so drastic. As you mentioned, California suggests we would need a million. You suggest we would need 440,000. The government is aiming to give us 84,000. So what is the message to be read between the lines here? Well, I sure hope it's not uh, uh, a lack of belief in uh, in their own uh, targets. That would be ra- rather concerning. Um, you know, I, I think the issue is that the government believes that they have a role to kickstart the build out of the charging infrastructure, and then the private sector will come in and fill in the gap. And while there is merit to that argument, once you have a significant number of EVs on the road, a large fleet to support private sector operators going in there and and taking advantage of this this growing fleet and growing demand, the reality is you need to overbuild now. We have to overbuild in the early days of EV adoption to get past the concerns that the federal government's own studies have shown that Canadians have with charging. So there's a role right now for a swift and large build-out of charging infrastructure. And then, yes, you will see private sector imperative moving in, taking advantage of the market and building more. But I'm really worried that we have adopted this very, very low ratio when you compare it to what other countries are doing. Let's move away from electrification to end this discussion. Your association would like to see improved North American regulatory alignment. What's happening on that front right now? What does it include? Is it um, autonomous vehicles? Is it over-the-air updates? Is it... Um, you know, uh, ADAS uh, regulations that are similar. Um, What has to happen in the future from where you sit in terms of regulatory alignment in Canada and the United States? The the auto industry in Canada is competitive because we're part of a highly integrated North American market, really since the 1960s. That is the underpinning of this industry, and that's what makes us competitive for new investments. So we need to maintain regulatory alignment across the board, everything from privacy policy, cyber, vehicle safety, you name it. And that has generally been well understood, uh, but it's a constant reminder that the industry has to uh, has to make that we cannot divert too far from what the US is doing, uh, because that's ultimately where we're exporting the overwhelming majority of our vehicles. The most significant piece of regulatory misalignment that we see right now is the federal government's plan to introduce a zero emission vehicle sales mandate. The U.S. is not taking that approach. They are putting significant funds into charging infrastructure and incentives, and they're tightening emission standards. And we'll find out more about that early next year. And that is what's going to get the U.S. to their 50 percent ZEV sales target by 2030. Canada has always aligned with U.S. emission standards. That's been a key competitive advantage of the industry, and that's what allows us to produce at scale. What we see now is this desire to move away from that and put in place a disharmonized ZEV sales mandate. So we're urging the government to align with the U.S., work with the Americans on keeping up on EV readiness, and keep those emission standards aligned, and we will get there together as an integrated market. So it's not necessarily a piece of legislation that they need to work together on. It's just, as you mentioned before, $10,000 incentive in Canada is similar to a $7,500 incentive in the U.S. And in this case, um, uh, ZEV targets of 50% in the States met through various methods 
versus a mandate in Canada. So it doesn't necessarily have to be written into law or some sort of joint piece of legislation like a free trade agreement. That's exactly right. Exactly. It's, it's a recognition of that integrated nature of the industry and a commitment to working with the Americans through all facets of the auto industry to make sure that we've got an aligned approach and we're moving together towards electrification. Brian, always great to have you on the show. Wish we could do it more often. I appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me. I want to thank Brian for being my guest. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glayson at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.